1 John chapter 5. We'll, Lord willing, finish this series. This will be the fifth message in this series on confident Christianity. Confident Christianity. I believe so much of what we find here in 1 John is exactly what we need today as Christians living in the world that we're living in. And then no doubt as the day draws near that the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his bride, the pressure of the final days, the last days, the perilous times that shall come for us as Christians to be prepared and to be confident. It's one thing for a team to take the field and be the underdog. It's another thing for the team to take the field and their coach tell them there is no chance you're going to win. There's no chance you're going to win this game. It's different, though, when we get on the field to run the race, to play the game, if you will, and we know that, number one, we've already won the World Series. We've got some regular season games to play, and we're going to lose a couple of them. But when it all comes down to the final thing, the final out, bottom of the ninth, two outs, we win this thing. It's over. It's already been won. The war has been won. The battle rages and we can be confident as Christians as it does. Now, I think the best thing for us to do is to remember just a few things from this. I cannot take the time to re-preach all of this, but I broke this down into five aspects of Christian confidence, really defining what it means to be confident in Christ. The first that we talked about was in verse 13, and that is confidence in eternal life in Jesus Christ, that we in detail explore that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and secure our salvation for us to live doubting, for us to live in fear, for us to live with our back up against the wall. But Jesus Christ died and he secured your salvation. And if you're saved, it was a perfect work of salvation. It was a final work of salvation. So number one, confidence in eternal life in Christ. Secondly, we looked at confidence of answered prayer within the will of God. That was in verse 14 and 15. Uh, let's go to verse 14 and 15. Let's read that again. We'll come back to it even in a few more minutes. But it says that this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And then we talked about praying into God's will and praying with the knowledge that God is sovereign over so many things and in so many different ways. It, it really means something to the Christian to pray with the knowledge that God is sovereign. He is in control. He is preeminent over everything in the universe. We broke that down into four different things. I've not preached this message uh, one time. We've not gone, gone to First uh, John 5 one time without mentioning these four chief pillars of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over the universe. God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over suffering. And then God is sovereign over everything in his divine purpose. That changes everything when you go to God in prayer. I can pray to God, trusting God, because he is in control and is already in the answer, no matter if it's yes, no, maybe, wait, no matter what the answer he provides for that prayer is, he's already there on the other side of the answer. That's the God that we're praying to. 
We talked about that as a lifestyle. And we really belabored the prayer aspect of this. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that is the prayer lifestyle verse. Pray without ceasing. Do not stop praying. It's so much of our life that even during the day as I'm doing chores around the house or I'm making notes or I'm driving in the car, that there's a continual constant communication with God. Uh, It helps us stay with unbroken fellowship when we stay in prayer. It's hard for us to sin when we're talking to God constantly. Anybody with me tonight? It's hard for us to get uh, called in sin if we're constantly communicating with our God. And we talked about that in detail. And then thirdly, we talked about our confidence in victory over sin and victory over Satan himself. That was in verse 17 through 19. We looked at those things in detail. And we talked about sin. And we talked about sin in detail. We gave four distinctions about sin. That sin was at our foundation as people. That it goes all the way back to the very beginning of who we are. We talked about as the children of God. Listen now to that. That our sins have been forgiven. We talked about as children of God that our sin has been forgotten and that praise God, part of the benefit of being a born again Christian is that my future includes a future that has no sin. Heaven is a place that we just sing about that praise the Lord will be a place of perfection where sin does not exist. There will be no sin within inside the gates of heaven. No more will you disappoint your Lord. And that's a wonderful truth. Now, tonight, I want to give you the last two, and I want to go ahead and give you both points, number four and number five, to our five uh, pillars or our five attributes, our five aspects of Christian confidence. Number one, confident in the eternal life of Christ Jesus. Confident of answered prayer in the will of God was number two. Number three was confidence in victory over sin and Satan. Number four, and tonight we will look at this in detail, we can be confident... We can be confident that we belong to God. God's children, those in the faith, can be confident that we belong to God. That's number four. And lastly, what we'll look at tonight is that we can be confident of Christ Jesus being the one true God. Those are confidences that we can have. And let's, for just a moment, let's pray, ask the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word, and we'll dive right into this. Holy Father, again, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence. And God, we're thankful for our opportunity to break bread, God, to come and to be fed from the oven of heaven. And God, I pray that for a few minutes, you would use your word to penetrate every heart and every life in this place. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Forgive me for where I have failed you. God, I pray that you'd use me to communicate what you want me to say. God, if there be anything you don't want me to say, I pray that you'd keep it from my mouth. God, be with our friends and our family down in Lenore, North Carolina, there on the Calico Road. God, at New Beginning Missionary Baptist Church. God, as my brother Heath stands to preach the word of God, I pray that you'd use him tonight. Be with Pastor Daniel and all those precious people. Lord, bless their service and bless ours. We'll all give you the praise, glory, and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. 
Go to verse number 19 and let's really drive this home. And there's something that for all of us, I think if we'll allow the Lord to do it in our hearts and our lives, it may change the way we look at life when we leave here tonight. I, I love coming to church, hearing the word of God preached, but I love my life being impacted by what I hear preached from the word of God. That has nothing to do with the preacher. It has everything to do with the power of the word of God, the truth of his word. Verse 19 says, and we know that we are of God. I have in verse 19, that word we, I have it boxed. I have it highlighted. I have it starred. I have it embezzled. I have every bit of it raised, embossed rather. It's standing out to me. And we know that we are of God. We are of God. You, you can't get over that. We'll come back to that in a moment. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. There's only two types of people that exist in this world, according to John. He's talking about the two types of people that exist in this world. He's talking about those that are children of God. And then there are those who are the children of Satan, according to the word of God. There are only two types of people, those who are the children of God and those who are the children of Satan. We say it most, most uh, quickly and best understood as those who are saved and those who are lost, those who are regenerate and those who are not, those that are in the faith and those that are not in the faith. And if you're not a child of God, if you're not in the faith, then according to the word of God, you are a child of the devil. That's a very alarming thing to be said about anyone. And, and what it's talking about is that not only do you not belong as a child of God if you're not in the faith, but that you belong to the evil world system that is under Satan's control. It's under Satan's domain. We have belabored this for months from this pulpit. We have talked plainly and clearly. We have preached the word about this realm that we are talking about. We've belabored Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle and we wrestle something. That's what we're talking about is this world system. The world system best understood in Greek, the word is cosmos, everything that is inside the world, all the systems, all the governments, all the things that happen in the world. And then there's a German word. I've used it a bunch, but it gives the best description. There isn't an English equivalent, but the German word is zeitgeist. And zeitgeist is everything that's happening all at once that's under a satanic influence. That's the pressure that the child of God feels while on this earth. That's the pressure that you feel as a child of God who wants to have a prayer life, who wants to live for the Lord, who wants to go towards righteousness. There is something that oppresses, I did not say possesses, there is something that oppresses the child of God who wants to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and be a witness, be faithful and true to the word of God. There's something we're warring against. 
against, and it's the zeitgeist, the system of Satan. And if you do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not been forgiven of your sin, then according to this word, you are a child of Satan, a child of wrath you will find in other places. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 10, it says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Both have children. Both have those that are in the control. I would put it this way. Both have children in their household. If God is our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, then everything that God has real, Satan has counterfeit, or he has something that works in contrast or to the contrary of what God has. So if God is our father and we as his children are invited to come to his table, then Satan is the father of wickedness and wrath and evil and all the things that are anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Holy Spirit. And just as God the father welcomes and beckons his children to come to the table, their father Satan, the one who is the evil one according to scripture, beckons his children to participate in his kingdom. You remember now, Satan got kicked out as Lucifer, who had a high position in heaven, who got pride before himself and fell, was cursed out of heaven. It says in this, the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. That's a very simple way for us to understand this. The Bible's so plain. It's so obvious Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither that he that loveth not his brother. John 8, 44, it talks about the father of these children. It says, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in in him, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. This is exactly who we are as people without the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear what I'm saying? This is what people are without the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Adamic nature. This is how we are born as people, as the enemy of God that hate truth, that hate light, and that hate righteousness. That's what we are programmed with. It comes at our very cellular level. And before salvation, according to the word of God, we were under the control, under the dominion of the evil one. And then in verse 19, the second part of that verse, look what it says. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. If you go and study that out very carefully, it truly means that those that belong to the devil himself are in the wicked one. That they are in the wicked one. Just as we are in Christ, as new believers, as those in the faith, those that are not in the faith are in something. They're under some sort of influence. They have an eternal life just like you do. They have a spiritual battle that they fight each and every day. They have spiritual influence each and every day. But according to this, the difference between you and them is that you are in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are in the evil one. They are in the devil. 
And that's who I was before I got saved. Now, the Bible teaches us clearly. We don't have time to go through all of this tonight, but let me just refresh your memory, especially for those that are new in the faith or new to the Bible. Satan has dominion and power over the earth. Okay? That bothers some people, but you read the Word of God clearly, it teaches that Satan has been given some authority and some dominion over the earth. I'm talking about the physical place. I am not talking about the universe. I'm talking about the physical mud ball called earth. It's where he was expelled to. That's why you find him in the garden in the first place. He was cast out of heaven. And where was he cast to? This place called earth. We see that all through the gospels. We see that clearly in the Old Testament. Bible doctrine teaches us that Satan has some control and some dominion of earth itself. Now, you have to put that into context because Jesus Christ who is Lord of Lords and who is King of Kings and who is God himself still holds preeminence to Satan. In other words, as we live in this vapor on this world and we live on this earth, number one, I am a, I am a pilgrim passing through. This is not everything for me. This is a vapor. It's going to be gone so fast, it's not even going to be funny. I'm 33 years old and life is just now beginning to speed up. I cannot imagine what it'll be when I'm 50 and 60 and 70. And if the Lord tarries 80 years old, life is going to go by fast. It is a vapor. Any, any folks give a witness to that tonight, that life is a vapor? Yes, but in that vapor, in that existence, there is a dominion and there is a power. But while we live here, our God is greater than the little G-O-D of this world. He still has to answer to our God. So yes, he has a little dominion. He has a little temporal power, but it will come to an end. The power and the authority of Satan has already been dealt the fatal blow. Let me say it for the Baptists in the room. The power and the authority of Satan has already been dealt the fatal blow. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem and when Jesus went to the cross and bled and died and when Jesus got up on the third morning and when Jesus ascended to heaven, all of that together, the actions of our Lord and Savior drove home the final blow. And one day and one day soon, all of that will culminate and the judgment will come. And then he will go to hell forever and ever and ever. Praise the Lord, evil will come to an end and those that are in the faith will go to a marriage supper. It'll be wedding time. He'll come and get his bride. So the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ have tremendously weakened any power or authority that Satan enjoys. Do you see why this can make you confident? Yes, there's a battle to face. Yes, there's an enemy to fight. But he is so limited in what he can do. As a child of God, you have more authority than he does. As a child of God, you have more power in Christ than he does. Satan doesn't know how it feels to be saved. Satan doesn't know what it feels to have access to the throne room as a child of God. You have the upper hand. One day, it will all come to an end. But when I put all of that into context, Brother Ken, when it comes out, when I'm reminded about who I was, when I was lost, a child of the evil one, 
I was under the influence of Satan and demonic power, then it makes my salvation that much more sweet. That I was under the influence of a dark Lord and a dark master who, who had intentions for me to die and go into an eternity without Christ. But praise God, the Holy Ghost of God said, I'll have no more of that and came by my way and saved me. It makes salvation that much more sweet. You say it defends me to, for you to say that I was a, a child of Satan. It is offensive. It is harsh. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's the truth of who we were before Jesus. If you're saved here tonight and you know what you're not ashamed of, it, say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. It's a terrifying prospect. And then it should burden us. It should burden us to look at people who do not know our Lord, our Savior, our Christ and pity them like never before. But we can be confident that we belong to God. How can we be confident in that? I'm no longer the son of Satan, but I am the child of the most high God. Here's how I know I'm different. I've been changed. There's a new nature on the inside of me. There are things that I crave now that I never craved before. There are understandings about things that I used to look at and, and never really understood what it was. But now because I am a son and I have access to God and he has access to my heart and we love one another and there's a relationship there. And I have his word that's ever living and breathing and teaching me that I get to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am compelled to live differently. We talked about that in detail, that that is the love of God lavished upon us. The fact that God loves you and that he changes you in his love is one of the greatest confidences that you can have. Because here's the truth. You know you before Jesus. You knew what you used to be. You know what you used to say. You know where you used to go on Friday nights. You know where you used to be on Sunday morning. But praise God, here you are serving the Lord with the Bible in your hand tonight on your way to heaven. Praise the Lord, the love of God that compels me to be different. That's why I can be confident. It has nothing to do with me. It's not within my capability, my understanding, my, 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 my education. My God, if that's what we're going to eternity on, somebody better get the preacher and a Bible and, and let's, let's get some things nailed down. You, uh, you don't ever bank your eternity on guesswork. Know that you know that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Washed in blood and regenerated in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. You can be confident that we are of God. When he said we in that verse 19, he is talking about those that are in the faith. And we know that we are of God. Knowing means knowing. As one brother put it in the Jubilee, do you know what a certain word means in Japanese? What was it? Brother Steve said that. All. Well, here we know we are of God. You can know. Absolutely know. It's certainty. Do you know that you're here tonight? Then you can know that you're going to heaven. You can know that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't have to guess. You know what happened on Sunday and on Saturday? Some people got to know. They got to know. That's a blessing. That's why you can live confidently. Verse 20, let's move on. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. He is truth. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Where He put the word true there, it means genuine. He is the genuine God. There are so many others that claim to be God. So many other doctrines and religions that claim to have a God. Our God is the only God that can say, I am the God. He is the God. So everything that we have seen in 1 John chapter 5 especially, but really in all of 1 John, the entire letter, this verse really is the concentrate. It is the, the sauce that's been boiled down. It's got a little bit of everything from the letter in it. Read it again with me. Understand what's being said. Let's go all the way back up to verse 13. Let's get this in the context and then we'll begin to close. Verse 13 says, These things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, there it is, that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Verse 18 says, we know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. Look at that again. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. And here we go again in verse 20. And we know. Say it with me. And we know. Say it again. And we know. That the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is in His, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Let me give this to you how the Lord gave it to me, and we will move on in the service. This entire letter boils down to these few verses. You can get a little bit of all of it here. But where I want to focus as we close is the understanding. He says that we've been given an understanding. Verse 20, and we know the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. Where does the understanding come from? And better yet, how do you recognize the voice and what do you understand of the voice? Go back to 1 John chapter 4 for just a second. There's a few verses here that we need to look at. This is so important. Verse number 1 of 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, hmm. but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, 
And even now, already, it is in the world. It's in the world tonight. It's in the world tonight. The spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of anti-Holy Ghost, the spirit of anti-God the Father, the spirit of anti-church is run rampant in the zeitgeist, the system, the cosmos that Satan controls, that has, he has dominion over. All of it wars against God's kingdom, his people, his children. All of that is what we have to understand. He's telling you not to listen to every spirit that speaks. Look what he said in verse 1. Make sure you understand what's being said here. Beloved, be, believe not every spirit. But then he says, try the spirit. Try the spirit. So what John is informing us is that there are some spirits that exist that are not for your benefit. There is a demonic world on this earth. Now, some people, this makes them very nervous. We've been so desensitized by Hollywood and the internet and video games and sci-fi fantasy. We're, we're talking about things that those people don't even know about. We're talking about a realm that you and I face each and every single day. John is teaching us that there are spirits that are warring against us. And according to this, we'll have enough access to us to speak to us. Think of that. Why is it important that we read our Bible every day that we're always growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Because you don't know what you may encounter tomorrow. You don't know what you may face tonight on the way home. You don't know who it is that will be behind the counter at the grocery store. You must always be about your father's business, always growing, always developing yourself to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian because there is a demonic, spirit-filled world that works against us. He says, try the spirits. This word, try, or test the spirit. It's a metallurgist term. It's a term that's used to assess the purity and the value of a metal. And Christians must test anything that is said of them or to them about their God. Listen to what I'm saying. When someone teaches you or someone preaches to you as spirit-filled Christians, we are to test the spirit you ever heard people from the old church, they'll say, boy, my spirit bears witness with what you're saying. That's trying the spirits, testing the spirit. That's the metallurgist return or report back that, hey, what he's saying is truth. What he's saying is Bible. And the same Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of me is the same Holy Ghost that's influencing what's being taught. And my spirit bears witness. And here's what happens when an old saint of God hears something that their spirit bears witness to. They'll say, amen, preacher. Praise the Lord, preacher. Hallelujah, glory to God, amen. Sing, Jubilee Choir. My spirit bears witness. I'm testing out the value and the purity of what I'm hearing. Praise the Lord, it's good stuff. 
Not because of the man behind the pulpit and what color his tie is. Not because his hair is gelled perfectly to the left or to the right. But because what is being taught, what is being preached is truth from God's word. And God's people test, they test the spirit. And then when your spirit bears witness, you can say, praise the Lord, what I'm hearing is true. How are you to test the spirit? How are you to know the validity of what's being said is true if you do not know the word of God? Why are there so many little sheep being led astray to these whack jobs on YouTube? Because they don't know the Bible. Why do these so-called pastors like Stephen Furtick have droves of people under their influence who teach and preach whatever comes out of their mouth as fun little games. And people eat it and consume it and follow it by the droves, by the thousands and the millions. Because people don't know their Bibles. If they would read about the Bible, what the Bible says, they would know, hey, that guy's not right. My spirit doesn't bear witness. Uh-oh, we're stepping on toes. Well, he, most of what he says is good. If not all of what he says doesn't line up with the Bible, then why are we listening? Well, Joel Osteen, he really calms me down. You get kind of wild behind the pulpit. Joel Osteen's a pagan. I don't even know if he's saved. Have your best life now. Have you ever read the Bible? Go read Matthew chapter 5. I, I'm talking about getting real about our faith. I'm talking about testing, trying the spirits. Why does your pastor spend hours in prayer and study every week before one word comes out of his mouth behind this pulpit? Because I trust that God's people will be testing the metal. Hey, preacher, that's good preaching. Or some saint that loves you enough brings you off to the side and say, hey, preacher, you might want to check that verse one more time. I think you might have had one little thing wrong there, but you need to know. Praise God for people that love you enough to tell you in the right spirit. Hey, I'm getting real. He says, try the spirits. Be very cautious about who has access to teach your children the Bible. Be very cautious about who you listen to on the radio. Know who the man is that's preaching the word of God. There are so many people with YouTube accounts and Instagram accounts and Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, whatever you want to put there, who have no business teaching you or feeding you the word of God. And just because it feels good doesn't mean that it's the truth. So John reminds us that Behind human teachers who propagate false doctrine and error, that there are demons, listen to me, there are demons who inspire those people to lead people away from truth. Human false prophets and teachers, according to Galatians, now this, don't take my word for it, according to Galatians 1, if you take the gospel and you twist it and you turn it to make it something that you need it to be or that you want it to be, the apostle Paul told them that you would be better off being damned to hell for eternity for messing with the purity of the gospel. That's the consequence of what we're talking about here. We're talking about people's eternity. And anytime someone takes even the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his name teach or preach false doctrine, they are involved directly in satanic, demonic activity, according to the word of God.
It's false doctrine. It's inspired by demonic influence. Human false prophets and teachers are the physical expression of the demonic spiritual resources of Satan to damn souls. And we must be absolutely aware that there is a crossover between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. There is a crossover between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. That's what he's teaching here. There are people who will preach untruth, who will preach a lie. And according to this, it is a demonic activity. Every time a Muslim imam opens his mouth to teach from the Quran and preach about the prophet Muhammad and teach in the name of Allah, they are exercising the will of Satan in the power of the Antichrist spirit. And it is demonic activity. Amen. Every time a Hindu pujarari, a Hindu priest opens his mouth and propagates the wickedness of their seven pagan heathen gods is demonic activity. Anything that leads people away from Jesus Christ, away from truth, it brings glory to the efforts of Satan himself. Every time a Mormon opens up that anathema text called the Book of Mormon and quotes from some book called Nephi and their false prophet Joseph Smith, it is nothing more than demonic evil activity that sends people into an eternity without, without Jesus Christ. Just because Jesus is sprinkled into your crazy ideas does not make it Christian, does not make it pagan, and God have mercy on your soul. It's satanic activity. Every time a Roman Catholic priest performs mass and prays in the name of Mary and elevates her to a place of divinity or a pope steps out onto a balcony in Rome in his little pretty bathrobe and waves at the people in the square, blessing them with his words and with his hands. Listen to me, there is no room on the throne for the Pope. Jesus Christ is King of Kings, he's Lord of Lords, and he doesn't scoot over for anybody. And it's demonic, wicked, sending people to hell every day activity. It is the purity of the gospel. It is the purity of the word of God. And God's children are to be full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost. And try the spirits. Every time the voice of accusation. Listen to me now. Every time the voice of accusation comes to the child of God. Every time guilt and shame is hurled at one of God's children who has been redeemed. Every time you're driving down the road and Satan brings up a sin from nine years ago that you'd even forgotten about and, and you never thought you'd think about it ever again and all the accusations begin to well up and you feel shame and guilt again and you feel like you're so dirty again and it's been put under the blood but yet you feel guilty again. That's nothing more than a demonic attack against the child of God. 
The same imam that preaches the wickedness of Islam. The same Mormon preacher that preaches the wickedness of Mormonism. The same Roman Catholic priest and pope that preaches the false religion of Catholicism. There is a spirit, there is a demon who has been assigned to you to preach to you false gospel. Listen to what I'm saying. There's been someone assigned to you. There's been a demon assigned to you to preach untruth to your ear. So that every day you feel like you can go for God and do for God and pray for God and study your Bible for God or preach the word of God for God. That there's something that you fight that you did not expect. That is the war that we're facing. And he said, no, what spirit to believe? He told us, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh of God. That's the spirit you listen to. And every spirit that comes against you that takes you away from the truth of God's word or tries to poke holes in the promises of God's word, it's an attack. Look out. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Are you with me tonight? Don't listen to it. Don't allow it a seat at the table. Begin to plead the blood of Jesus Christ over the situation and listen to the voice of God who says you are redeemed, who says you are forgiven, who says that you are a child. It's the same tactic that the enemy uses each and every day. So how do I know the voice of God? How do I know that it's the Spirit of God? Through his word, through his promises, and through his spirit. His spirit. The best way to put this, Miss Heather, you can come and help us as we close. The spirit of God is best displayed towards us in his character. His character. What is the character of the spirit of God? Galatians chapter 5 gives you that detail. It tells you what you are to be emulating. This is what you're to replicate. This is what you're to duplicate. This is the, the tone. This is the temperature. This is the biographical sketch of the Holy Ghost. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. Satan never speaks in peace. He never speaks in true joy. It's in long-suffering. It's in gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and in temperance. That's the voice. It's the one that says, you weren't good enough, Winston, but I was. And I love you. And my righteousness has been imparted to you. And you are forgiven I choose not to remember your sin against you I was patient enough with you long enough for you to be saved that is the voice of the spirit of God that speaks to his children and then the Bible even gets more detailed for us in Philippians 4 8 he says finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest Whatsoever things are just and pure and lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And there 
within the word of God and in the presence of God, you'll hear the right voice, the right spirit. You can know that you are of God and you can know that he is the God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your God. And you can have peace and you can have confidence. That's what being confident as a Christian is all about. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. This is how we'll close. Go to verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world, and they still are today. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. But look at this last verse, verse number four. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. Let me say that again for the Baptist folk. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Confidence. Man, that makes me want to stick out my tongue at the devil and just tell him where he's going. I hate him. I hate him. And one day he's going to get what's coming. No more will he have access to whisper in your ear, touch a hair on your head. And God's going to give him everything that's got coming for him. Every bit of it. But until then, until that day, be faithful, be confident, and know that you know that you know who you are and who he is and live in that light. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the truth. God, thank you that I'm not in the Mormon tabernacle tonight, confused out of my mind. God, I thank you that I'm not at a mosque tonight, praying empty prayers. God, I thank you that I'm in my church, with my church. Lord, the living, breathing body and bride of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're thankful for what you said in Matthew. But the gates of hell, the gates of all evil shall never prevail against us. Lord, we're thankful that it's personal tonight that we can have that confidence. Lord, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. Help us to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Help us to take a personal inventory about our walk of faith with you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless Sunday as we come back together if it be your will. Keep us safe as we go home tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.